Hey, and welcome to Cine Drunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. This is Matt, joined by Nathan. Hi. And Elizabeth. Hello. We are recording this podcast on Thanksgiving. We are. Uh, and so we were inspired by something that we would give thanks for. So it was Matt's idea to go back through the past 10 years of Oscar nominations and pick the 10 that we are most thankful for. And we do yeah. not know each other's lists, so we're all really excited to, to go through and see what they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're especially excited because what have we been sipping on sort of all day? Yeah, well, I'm, I just feel like I need to say something at this point. Um, oh, please do. Which is that I'm not introducing the drink this week, and I'm happy <gasps> to pass the baton. The sash? Uh, no, I'm keeping the sash. Okay. <laughs> I'll break off a diamond of the tiara. Oh, thank you. Like Mean Girls, then. And I, get a, I get a chunk. And hand it to you. Thank you. Uh, uh, yes, I, yeah. I was in charge of drinks for our Thanksgiving meal today. Uh, Mostly because it couldn't be trusted with anything else. No, that's for sure. Me in a kitchen, <laughs> not not the place to be. Um, and we are drinking uh, mulled wine, recipe courtesy of Ina Garten, Barefoot Contessa herself. Um, we'll link to it on the site, but it's got some really good local apple cider that Nathan had picked up. Five Acre Farms, what? Five Acre Farms, what? Yes, the official name. <laughs> um, it's got a whole bottle of wine. We used a Malbec, though she usually calls for a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, we've got some, God, what's in there? Some cinnamon sticks, orange four whole zest. cloves, orange zest, some orange squeezed, fresh squeezed orange juice. Uh, and there's also a little bit, our secret ingredient is Saba spice. Well, now it's not secret. Our, used, our formerly secret ingredient <laughs> is Saba Spice, which is like the basically the national drink of... Well, it's, not, it's, it's like more what of they're a known. territory than a nation. Nation, yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> of the island of Saba, which is part of the Dutch Antilles? Or, yeah. Yeah, which is where a pod, one of our co-hosts and myself honeymooned. Uh, it wasn't me. No. I wasn't invited. It was, it was me. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so it's this, like, anise sort of licorice flavored, uh, alcoholic beverage that we added a few splashes of, and, uh, also some Applejack brandy. Um, so yeah, that's what we're drinking. But yeah, we love movies, we love the Oscars, before this current Oscar season really gets into the campaigning and negativity, we thought we would pay tribute and thanks to each of our 10 personal favorite nominations of the past 10 years. So we each got a top 10 list because we love to rank things. That's another thing we're thankful for is lists. It's true. We do like to list We sure do. Yes. Who wants to start us off? What is... We went through, you know, just the whole nominations list. Any category, no other restrictions. It could have been someone that won. Sure. Just 10. Do you want to go first, Nathan? 10 Sure. All right, you're number 10. Um, so I, I appreciated that the, the rules were not defined. As mm-hmm. usual, we can interpret favorite as, you know, whatever we wish. For sure. Um, so I tended to go for things that were, yes, personal favorites, but also had some sort of impact, I felt, as nominate Like, Nominees, you know, maybe yeah. without mm-hmm. being nominated, they would be nothing. <laughs> or 
(laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it proved a point that the Academy could nominate something like that. Yeah, I had some of those. So I'll explain as we go for you um, lay people. (laughs) Uh, But... Patronizing our audience right away. (laughs) That's what I'm best at. Without further ado, uh, my number 10 was just last year. A little film in 2014 called Ida was nominated for Best Cinematography. And I just, I wanted to include this because I thought, I mean, it was very obvious while you were watching this movie that the cinematography was, was something. I mean, yeah. it was, it certainly had a point of view. It was impossible not to notice it, which is not usually the case for cinematography, I feel. Right. Um, and so I appreciated that this, that the Academy went for maybe an obvious choice, but yet not so obvious because it is a foreign film. As well. Right. Yeah. And black and white. Black and black and white. So they, they go for black. Um, but yeah, mainly the framing is what, Really yeah. was crazy cinematography wise. Agree. Um, Certainly for me, out. and it also reflected the theme and the mood and um, the objective of the film. So, kudos to Lucas Zal and Richard Lenkowski. <laughs> I think that was beautifully Our pronounced. Favorite <laughs> for their nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can go next. Sure, go ahead. Um, I my number ten, also from two thousand fourteen, and fine. that is Wes Anderson getting the best director nod for Grand Budapest yeah. Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved that movie. It made my top ten. But I also have just been a huge Wes Anderson fan for years, and he always seemed to lie outside of sort of the general aesthetic that you think of for people who get nominated for Best Director. Mm-hmm. Um, even within the director's branch, you know, his style is maybe, we talk a lot about, like, masculine and feminine, and he certainly doesn't have a particularly, like, <laughs> masculine style. No. And anyways, and, and I can see how his style can be divisive at times, but I was really excited that he got recognized for the very specific auteur that he is. So that's my number 10. That is great. You're both, like, we're all on the same page. My number 10 is also from last year. (laughs) And Nathan chose something from his favorite film of the year. I chose something from my favorite film of the year. Elizabeth, you chose a director. I also chose a director. And that's Richard Linklater for Boyhood. It was an obvious... Old Dickie Links. Old Dickie Links. That's (laughs) not what we're ever going to call him again. (laughs) No one calls him. (laughs) Nope, never. Um, It was an obvious nomination. I mean, that movie ended up being sort of a a big player in the Oscar season, even though it only ended up winning supporting actress, but just, I love Linklater's films pretty much across the board. And just the fact that he was finally getting recognition and that it was for something that had taken up, I mean, it was such a passion project, such a personal film that had taken up so much of his life, really. I mean, obviously he did other projects in between, but it was a fantastic nomination. I almost went with the editing of Boyhood because that was also something that was really key to its success, but yeah. Richard Linklater, best director, is my number 10. I think it's no coincidence that all of our number 10s were from last year, because I, the difficulty is, right, right, it's too soon to totally be like, in 10 years, will I still look back and be excited about this? But I think probably all of us will about these choices. I bet. 
Or do you have a lot that's more? An, that's an interesting. Maybe yours is. <laughs> I don't disagree with your assessment, but let's let's just see what happens. See how the cookie crumbles. All right. Crumbles. Well, All right. you know, you're gonna do things just to what is it? Cut off my nose despite my face. That's Whatever. What I do best. <laughs> Again, uh -huh. uh, your turn. Sure. <laughs> number nine. Uh, number nine. I have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross oh. for mm -hmm. original score for the Social Network 2011, which they ended up winning. That is my number nine as well. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. So we did have one that lined up, even with the number. Wow. So we can both just talk about it. But I, for for me. Part of the reason that movie is so good is because of the score. And the score plays almost like a, it should be overscoring a thriller. It's so propulsive. Mm -hmm. It's so intense. It's so non-melodic in places. And then at the same time, it's like a score that I want to listen to and can listen to on its own right, and sustains that. Mm -hmm. um, it just feels like a different a score different from what we're used to, especially being nominated for and the fact that it won Oscars, yeah. the fact that it won, and I think that that is like really the secret weapon of that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, makes... I, I think of them as just as much as our tours as Fincher and oh, Sorkin, totally, in making that movie, which is a fantastic movie, and you know, part of the reason it works so well in mood wise is that score, which is really. Yeah. Awesome. And it's really a case of three different, well, four, because it's two people, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, of four people with, like, very specific skill sets and voices yeah. who are really well-suited to each other. Right, who, it's like, like, balance each other out within the context of that film, yeah. which, for having such strong viewpoints, yeah, usually one would overwhelm the others, but I think it really... no works in that instance. And they all kind of, I mean, I don't know so much for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, but they all seem to like balance out the worst qualities of each other too. Because like <laughs> Fincher and Sorkin also sometimes need to be saved from themselves. Mm. Themselves and something about this collaboration was just so good and I think that this was the other part of the triangle that would go most unsung. So yeah, the fact that they were nominated, the fact that they won. Super excited. Love that score. One of our favorites nominations of the past 10 years yeah. so that's also my number nine nathan what's your well i first i want to say that was on my top 10 list mm -hmm. like your long list my no i mean it was on my starred oh. circled top 10 list until a few minutes ago oh when i removed it and put it on the honor roll hmm. or the honorable mention the honor roll <laughs> <laughs> They'll be getting a certificate in the mail, I think, <laughs> a bumper sticker. Yes. It's the kind of thing that I would, you know, if I did this tomorrow, I'd probably include it. But really, I think I just decided the win itself was reward enough, really exciting. So the okay. nomination, not as much or not enough to get in the top ten. Sure, that's fair, fair enough. But I agree with everything you said. My number nine is from twenty thirteen. It is Best Adapted Screenplay for Before Midnight. Mm -hmm. That was on my long list. And um, this is one of the ones, I mean, the reason it's number nine and not higher is because I think it's just good. It's not necessarily like making a point about the Academy or right. Right. or anything. I, it's just a personal favorite. Um, I think I liked this third film of the, of the trilogy, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight. 
Um, I liked this one the best, and I particularly, you know, the the dialogue itself in terms of the screenplay. The dialogue is what stands out mm-hmm. in all of these films. That's what they're based around. Right. So, right. Uh, right. If the screenplay isn't there, then the movie isn't there. Yeah, and yeah. this one, I, I mean, it, it's just like it was everything the first two were. But somehow even more satisfying, I think, you know, maybe only because the first two had already taken place. So it had that advantage. The depth. And the rich, right. the depth and the yeah. richness to draw from. But loved it. Won't get any argument from me. That no. was certainly on my long list. And I think if we were able to go back one more year, I think before Sunset getting in for adapted screenplay in 2004 would have definitely made my top 10 list. Just because that was a little bit more of a surprise. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> like a critical cause, like. Clearly the movie didn't get in anywhere else, and then Before Midnight already sort of had that cachet, I guess, um, before its release, that it was like, oh, well, it must be on a long list if the one before was was nominated, but no less deserving. Fantastic nomination. Yeah, I love that movie, and it's a fantastic screenplay, and again, a great collaboration. Totally. Three people who bring out the best in each other and hide the worst in each other. <coughs> Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Another Richard Link thing. Dickie Links. Oh, Dickie Links. My list is full of Dickie Links films. No, it's not. That was your number so, nine. Yeah, yeah. so oh. you're eight. Right? So my number eight uh, is a Best Supporting Actor nominee from 2006, and that is Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And a lot of this actually just has to... Leave the room. Oh, no. <laughs> Call me back when you're done. <laughs> the hollow stuffing is a rumbling in my stomach. <laughs> a lot of this just has to do with, too, that it was such a surprise. Like, of course, Jack Nicholson was, like, the front runner to get nominated from that movie, which was already clearly going to win Picture yeah. Director, like it was Martin Scorsese's time. It's a very good movie. I don't remember if it even makes my top ten list for 2006, but yeah. the fact that it was Mark Wahlberg that got nominated and especially for that performance like it's so comedic and like yeah. I, I really I do like Mark Wahlberg a I actually lot. do like the performance in that movie <clears throat> yeah. I, don't, would, I wouldn't have nominated it but I and coming off a couple years after I Heart Huckabees where I think he's hilarious and fantastic in that movie I was just very excited by this nomination and that now we can count Mark Wahlberg as an Oscar nominee I love those yes. like Clearly when they're thinking for themselves, like it's not, Jack Nicholson has 12 Oscar nominations and they still were like, yeah, because clearly they watched the movie and were like, no, my favorite performance is this. And so that's what got nominated. I love that. Good for them. Yeah. Not my favorite. I don't think I would have even, I don't remember all five of them. I probably would have still given it to Alan Arkin. Right. Who did end up winning for Little Miss Sunshine. But just the fact that Mark Wahlberg got that nomination was really cool. It is always nice when there's like a kind of a surprise on Oscar morning. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, though. It's his beefcake body and meathead persona that you're really after. Amen. Yeah. I disagree. As long as you can be honest about that. <laughs> um, that sure helps. <laughs> Not going to lie. So, is it me, then? Number sure. My, my eighth? Yeah. Um, my number eight is another just personal favorite that was kind of... I If I remember correctly, everyone saw this coming. Maybe not. I don't know. Um... From 2009, Best Actress nominee Gabourey Sidibe mm. for Precious, based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. <laughs> You're welcome, Sapphire. Uh, You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> I mean, she, I, I, also, the reason that I put this on the list is that it, it was important for her. 
I mean, oh, of course. Totally. And she's also done some great work, or at least... She's visible. She's visible, and she's fun. made interesting choices, and she's done a wide variety of projects, yeah. I should say. Certainly. Her best work is still precious. Based but, on the novel Push right. by Sapphire. <laughs> Based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> uh, but I love her. Yeah. Yeah, and she's great in that movie. And she's she's she has a great. She reminds me of Jennifer Lawrence in the sense that like her, her off screen, persona is just mm-hmm. so winning. Yeah. yeah, totally. A lot of charisma. Um, she so, also, which also puts into like perspective the Precious nomination because, I mean, she has a great story, right? But she could not be more different from right. her character in that. Like right. seeing that movie and then seeing like bubbly, funny, like, Jabberings to debate, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, especially for a debut performance, you would normally, like, cast just someone who fits the role because they're already kind of like that. Right. But nope. Nope. She's not like that Like, Pavagene Wallace is, was a precocious child. Like, they didn't, you know what I mean? Like, not to take away from her performance, but it isn't like she was playing the total opposite of what she is. Yeah. Which is what Gabberings. That's a good choice. Well done. Thank you. I'll allow you to keep it. Well, you will. <laughs> well, I'll stick with my Mark Wahlberg, but you can keep your guess. Okay. Well, I will just, I mean, before I say my number eight, not that this particular one needs a disclaimer, just in general my list. It was hard because, you know, it could have easily just been ones we like because there are so many nominations I like. Yeah. But these are ones that either were a surprise or, I mean, it's like you said, like felt different in some way or mean something specific to me in a way that like other performances I love even didn't make this list. But my number eight was from 2011. Hmm. Best actor, Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy. A movie I loved. I really liked his performance. I liked his performance even more the second time I watched it, which was within the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love Gary Oldman. Like he's one of my favorite actors. He was one of my favorite actors from when I was a kid. I want us to watch Air Force One later. Terrific <laughs> Gary Oldman performance. But it's kind of amazing that in his long career, he had never even had a nomination. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice when, you know, there's this whole, like, right now, this whole narrative of, like, Leonardo DiCaprio being due. And it's like, whatever, you're fucking 40 and you're awful in half of your movies. And you have five nominations. And you have five of nominations. Yeah. But then you have, like, career actors like Gary Oldman who have been in shit movies and amazing movies and he's been great and he's been terrible and he, you know what I mean just like an actual like working gigging actor who isn't like this project is beneath me I can fly everywhere on my private jet like <laughs> get over your fucking self Leonardo DiCaprio you will never make this list but let's focus on what we're so thankful for <laughs> <laughs> so anyways I'm really thankful that wow. Gary Oldman is now at least an Oscar nominee yeah that was and an interesting I, year that category yeah and then Damien Bashir got in yeah. for a better life. Yeah. And it's just such a quiet the other thing is Gary Oldman is often a very large actor, Kennedy. Yeah. And he got in for such a quiet. And a movie that wasn't really recognized elsewhere. No. I don't know if it even had any other movies. And that wasn't really an acting showcase. I, I mean, mean it, I, I loved it all was, the performances, it wasn't but yeah, they weren't, I, I don't mean that they weren't baby. Right. What I mean is it's not a movie that was designed to like give actors showcases. It was Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thriller, you know, a spy film. A really well done one at that. So that's my number eight. 
And now I think we're back around cool. to you, Nathan. With your number yeah, seven. Yeah, my number seven um, is my second from 2014, just last year. Um, it is Best Actress nominee Marianne Cotillard mm. for oh. Two Days, One Night. Sure. Mm-hmm. And in parentheses here, I have written... <clears throat> Not the immigrant, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, that travesty of a film in which she was not even that good, but more so the film just wasn't. Yeah, some people love that movie. The critics loved it. I, I don't know it. why. I will never know. But we're thankful that she was nominated. No, but my point, right my point is, yes, exactly. She was nominated for a phenomenal performance in... A, Quiet, yeah. Um, human, you know, focused, very focused story where she's just trying to. I don't. I can't remember if she's trying to pay rent. No, she's, she's trying to keep her job. It's basically an. Or she has. Oh yeah, have, yeah, yeah. Her coworkers has, are voting on whether they get bonuses. Right. So she can even keep her better. Job. Yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah. It's a really strange <clears throat> scenario to put someone in, so it plays into. Social politics. I mean, whatever. See the movie. It's good. It's a great movie. But sh- but the point is, they could have nominated her for another um, kind of period piece, more showy, yeah, Oscary role. And yeah. instead of not nominating her at all or um, doing that, they nominated her for this. So. Mm-hmm. It's also I'm a role thankful. that could have easily been repetitive because, in a way, the way the just plot is structured it's like a repetition of a scene over and over which is just her going to her various co-workers and having essentially the same conversation or at least starting the conversation the same way which could have gotten really tedious and boring at a certain point but it never does and part of that is the filmmaking and the script too but a lot of that is her performance right that's a good choice um am i next i'm next right sure number seven my number seven is from the year 2007, and it is a nominee for original song, which also actually won Falling Slowly from mm-hmm. once, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Irglova. Yep. Uh, partly because I loved once. Love, it's my love, favorite love. movie of 2007. Yeah, I haven't ranked 2007, but it would probably for sure be in my top mm-hmm. three. Um, right, right up there with No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. It's like the 2007 trifecta. No, There Will Be Blood on mine. But sure. Oh. <gasps> what I'm thankful for. <laughs> uh, so I love, you know, I love that the film got recognized and I love that this then won. But even more importantly, I feel like it's a good representation of what this category should be, mm-hmm. which is this is a song that wasn't just written to get a like best song nomination. The scene in the film is like oh, it's integral when and yeah. I had chills, and it's when this movie, and it's maybe like twenty minutes into it, but it's when I knew like, oh, this movie is going to be one of my absolute favorites yeah. because it's part of the storytelling, it's part of the fabric of the film, and plays an important role, which I love. And I remember actually watching the Oscars that year with a bunch of people I was doing a musical with, mm-hmm. and so you know, of course, it was like a lot of like musical theater. Right. People. And it was nominated against the two Enchanted songs. Three, I think. Oh, you're right. It was three, three, I think. You're right. But so it was nominated against all the Enchanted music. And Mm -hmm. when it won, they were like, what? But it's so simple. It's so well. And I'm like, yes, but this best song doesn't go to like the one with the most 
orchestration. <laughs> it's the one that has the biggest impact in the film. And this does. You can't watch that scene of these two people connecting over creating music together, which is such a special and yep. kinetic and emotional thing. And of course it should win best song over like, and I liked Enchanted, but those songs were just whatever standard musical theater songs. Anyways. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm really thankful for, for number seven. As well. You should be an excellent choice. Oh, excuse me. Drop my pen. Uh, my number seven, uh, ties in nicely with your number seven, Nathan. Uh, yeah. it is also a foreign, Performance nominated for Best Actress. That's kind of a depressing film or performance, and that's Emmanuel Reba, yeah. Best Actress for Amour in 2012, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite Oscar categories of the past like five years. Yeah. When you had, she got in, Quavangene Wallace got in for Meets the Southern Wild, Naomi Watts got in for The Impossible, and then Jennifer Lawrence and Jessica Chastain. Yeah, that was Love a good it. solid year. Yeah. I'm thankful for that whole category. Absolutely. But especially, I mean, Foreign performances to get nominated don't happen that often. Yeah. Older women. Especially, yeah, an older woman. Like, if they do, it's usually Marianne Cotillard. It's a young, hot, it's Sophia Loren. Right. It's, yeah. But Emmanuel Riva, man, this is right. such a visceral performance. She's so good in it. Yeah. And it's so something that critics would love and then audiences wouldn't really take their time with it. But then the fact, I, I, and I considered it more for lots of things on this list. Yeah. Hanukkah for director, for picture, screenplay, foreign film, which is deservingly won for Austria. But Emmanuel Riva is kind of like the heart of this movie. And the oh, fact Chubby. that she got the acting nomination, amazing. And I mean, it's every, I mean, despite the like Alzheimer of it all, or is it just dementia? It's Alzheimer's. Well, she has like a few strokes and then right, that's what it is. there's yeah, some dementia. Like dementia. Yeah. Um, the old like, age of it all. The old yeah. age of it all. The de the dyingness of it all, which would like seem to be Oscar bait, but it's all played not in an Oscar way. Oh, at all. It's Hanukkah, yeah. So sh she's not even giving like a baby performance, and she's also not like an old, well respected. You know, she's not a dench or a streep or something where like okay, we will allow you to be over fifty and right see your haggard face on the screen and reward you for it. If it's like, who knows Emmanuel Reba? Here, I mean, I know I mean, a lot of people do, in but the US. she's, that's what I mean. In right. the U.S. and... Some cinephiles, certainly. Of course. Hiroshima Mon Amour, but in of general, course. yeah. Like, who had heard from her in decades? Right. That's a casual Oscar voter. Right. Yeah. So that was an amazing nomination I'm very thankful for. Good choice. Thank you. So that was my number seven. Do you want to start us off with number six? I sure do. Number six for me is from 2012. Oh. Piggybacking off yours. Well. Also in an acting, acting category. But mine is for best actor, Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook. Mm -hmm. It was right. my favorite performance of the uh, male performance of the year. I wish he would have won. And I remember that year being really competitive, and it was clear that Jennifer Lawrence was going to get in. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that she... Would, would be a front runner. Mm -hmm. And then there was some like Robert De Niro because it's his best work. But like, I feel like going into in it, while, like, yeah. the buzz was really around them. And like, maybe Bradley Cooper might ride the coattails, but he was not assured that fifth spot, that fifth spot, yeah. Spot. Or slot. Or slot. The slot. <laughs> spot slot. The mold wine is slowing my tongue down. Um, and well, yeah, because yeah, you just, had Daniel Day Lewis, who's clearly going to win. Clearly, was going to win. And, yeah. Um, but then you also have Joaquin Phoenix in The Master, which also wasn't a sure nomination. But right. It was so good. That That's was like what I mean. It was a competitive. competitive it was a competitive year. Yeah. 
so there was no guarantee he was going to get in, and I was so happy that he did because I think it's his. I still think it's his best work to date. I think yes. it's the type of part that he could have really gone overboard with. But even when the character has emotional outburst, I never felt like I'm watching this actor be like, "This is my outburst scene." It came from like a really internalized, deep place. Like I could see the physicalization in his body of like a mm-hmm. person who can't contain it. Like he yeah. really caught the like manic depression that his character is experiencing in a very non I'm telling a Hollywood story about it right and more in a way that felt like visceral and real and honest to me um it's what makes the movie work yeah Yeah. totally and I just really responded to it and I think he's so great I think he's so generous with his scenes with everybody else in that movie Mm mm-hmm um, you know, because there's so many like weird. <laughs> David O. Russell must just be good at. Totally, but there were so many like weird personalities for him to. Whether it's like Jackie Weaver, who has a very who she was on my like long Potential, list for yeah. the potentialist for both this and Animal Kingdom her nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, but her sort of energy is much different from Robert De Niro's, which is much different from Jennifer Lawrence. And then you've got random scenes with Chris Tucker, and he's great in those scenes with yeah. Chris Tucker. Like he just really, yeah. So. He was just like, you could tell he was hungry for a lead role to be like, look, this yeah. is what I can do. Yeah. And he's clearly continued to ride that wave. And yeah. now he's the Bradley Cooper we know and either love or don't love today. I do love I him. I do. Despite American Sniper, I still love him. <clears throat> that is one that I can't argue with. Good good call. I think he was on my long list. My number six um, is... Emmanuel Lebesky for Best Cinematography. I debated which <laughs> of his several deserving, deserving nominations to, to put in here. I ended up going with The Tree of Life. Um, and it's mostly because both Gravity and Birdman are such cinematographer showcases. And, I mean, I, th- I, I personally think Gravity is probably the best, or my favorite at least, film so far of this decade. So I'm thankful for all of its nominations and seven wins. Um... But the Tree of Life, there's something about that cinematography that makes me so appreciate just how talented Emmanuel Lebesky is. Because yeah. there's no way that that was easy. I mean, yeah. any Terrence Malick movie is, you know, the way he shoots or that we've been told he shoots and that it's just kind of all over and there's so much footage and he doesn't necessarily have a distinct or direct plan of what's going on. That's, we talked earlier about like Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher being like, co-auteurs of that film right the look of tree of life is so key to it working and pulling off terrence malick or emmanuel lebesky's vision and the fact that you can get just like ethereal seeming yeah camera work from a lot of these heavy themes it's just really it's what gives it it's like meditative feel yeah it's fantastic and i'm fine that he didn't win for that because he's won twice in a row and it seems like this year he's gonna win a third in a row for The Revenant. Good for you, Chivo. We're but thankful yeah. for you. I mean, also considered on the same lines of cinematography, really any, well, any from any year, Roger Deakins nomination, but probably Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Mm-hmm. I considered that one as well. Hmm. But I went with Chivo for Tree of Life nice. from number six. Yeah. I had some, some long list cinematography, but none of them made it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my number six is from... The year 2010. Hmm. Um, it's a new category for me. Um, this is like, wait. <laughs> like you made up a category. <laughs> um, in the category of best art direction, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Ooh. Nice. 
And I think I ended up going with this because um, this first part of the last installment of the series was a turning point in tone and and maturity maybe mm -hmm. um it it turned it much like i guess the third film kind of took the look of harry potter and his world into a more muggle sort of place right less <laughs> more, christopher columbus <laughs> less mm -hmm. less wizard and, and I specifically um, christopher columbus more civilian <laughs> yeah um I think this did a similar thing mm -hmm. at the right time in the series where it's basically like, oh shit, this is life or death, but really life or death. Yeah. And not just our lives. Um, and also that, that played into all the themes of, of just moving out of childhood and into mm -hmm. adulthood. And I think the art direction played a huge role in establishing that tone yeah um and helping move it along both in part so one i i appreciated that this film could kind of break the mold enough from the previous installments without seeming like a different right a total departure. Totally. Yeah, yeah total departure um yeah i agree that's interesting because actually the it was nominated for cinematography for uh, Harry for Potter the and the third Hell. one, right? For the no, for the sixth. Oh yeah, for Harry Potter and, and the third, yeah, um, and the Half Blood Prince. And I almost that was on my long list, and I debated yeah. about keeping it on because again, it was another time where there was like a real shift in the look and tone of the film, right? Moving us and towards, which is the same director, David Yates. And that franchise is not; it's never been my favorite. I mean, I love the books, right. but the movies, I've. I don't think I've seen a single one more than once. But if yeah. I had to pick a favorite, it would be that part one of the last yeah. installment. Yeah, I don't even my remember what it's called. What is it called? Deathly, Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows, thank you. <clears throat> Great choice. Good choice. Uh, let's get to our top five. My number five is a bit of a cheat because uh, <laughs> it's two things. But I'm going to call this my rural, indie, female-directed best actress performance. And you've got... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone from 2010 and Melissa Leo in Frozen River from 2008. Such a cheat. Yeah. Well, if I had to pick one, it would be Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone 2010. <laughs> but I, I wanted to lump them but, together. But, they... but consider. <laughs> consider. <laughs> that, was for, that was for the fighter, not for Frozen. It doesn't matter. It's for <laughs> I'm Melissa still going to put on my throw and, and my fur and consider. Stand by the um, But yeah, I mean, they're, they're both really excellent performances in... Mm -hmm. What I think are really great films, I'm really glad also, or thankful, I should say, uh, that Winter's Bone was able to get into Best Picture for mm -hmm. one of those years when they Nomination. had... Yes. Oh, yep. Okay. When they happened to have ten set nominees for Best Picture. Um, but yeah, just that they're really... I mean, we didn't really know who these actresses were before mm -hmm. then. So then the fact that they got in for these small, independent movies, they're directed by female directors who we hadn't really heard from before. And never you know, heard the from again. I mean, basically, unfortunately. Um, yeah, they're really great performances, great. both of them. And no, obviously, you know, they've both gone on to win Oscars yeah. since then and have 
Some less annoyingly than others. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah. Jennifer Lawrence had basically done like the Bill Eng- Engvall, Engvall show yeah. on yeah. TBS at that point. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I'm thankful for both of those nominations nice. in their respective years. Well, that ties in nicely, actually, with my number five, hmm. which is also a breakthrough actress who came out of nowhere, nowhere from 2013. Jennifer Lupita, Lawrence. No, <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o for Best Supporting Actress in 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's an astounding performance, and it was so great to see someone who was coming from nowhere, and I think it also was important to the film that they cast an un- that Steve McQueen cast an unknown actress mm-hmm. because there's something about you know even like she would tell Edgy of Four isn't super known to audiences in a way that I think like for example if that role had been Will Smith yeah or, it would have been different you know you would have seen all of the like movie star actor quality to it and it wasn't and the fact that this like really sort of the heart and emotional heartbreak of the film rests on this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just her, like, at the very end, like, fainting as he leaves into the dust is, like, what we know as a audience should be a triumphal moment, which is, like, he's finally... She reminds us of the impact of, like, yes, this one man is free, but don't forget yeah. about all the... Which it would have been easy for the film to otherwise be, like, yes, he's gone, and not to emotionally remember... But it's not just his story. Like, slavery is never going to be just one person's story. It's a story of what was done to an entire group of people. And she really represents that. Um, And it's just a breathtaking performance. And I'm so excited that she was nominated. I'm so excited that she won. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for someone to put her in something where I get to see her beautiful face again. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, So I'm thankful for Lupita. Mm -hmm. Uh... Yeah, agreed completely. My number five is from 2005, and it is another new category for me. (laughs) For you. Um, (laughs) Best makeup for Chronicles of Narnia, the the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. (laughs) And I... I wanted to do something with Mr. Tumnus. Of course, <laughs> of course he did. Um, but but sadly, in Matt all, in all honesty, I think, um, the, I mean, the reason I ended up choosing this from the long list to be in my top 10 was Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. And this is more of a personal thing. I mean, I think people in the know already knew this, but I, but for me, this drew my attention to her and also reinforced her alien-like qualities <laughs> yeah um through the makeup yeah and uh and chameleon i mean chameleon's the wrong word because she always looks very tilda swinton like but she can still disappear into yeah a, a character i also appreciate that she looked glamorous in a way like a queen would. Like she looked I, less glamorous. I think she looked regal, but yeah. she didn't look like, I'm thinking right now of like Snow White and the Huntsman, right? Where Charlize Theron's evil queen is like smoky eyes right. and like right. deep cheekbones. And instead they were like, nope, we're going to completely wash you out. She was we're like, no eye makeup on whatsoever. Black eye contact. Yeah. And, and like white dreads. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's a great look. And then, of course, you know, 
Mr. Thomas is mega, but uh, <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> You're just going to um, secretly come and record a podcast that's just all about Mr. Thomas. <laughs> It'll just pop up. <laughs> Top 10 things you love about Mr. Thomas. <laughs> 10 through 1, everything. <laughs> I think we're back around to I guess, I guess yeah. it's me, yeah. So number four, mm-hmm. um, this one's from 2006, and it's best editing. And I don't know if our viewers know that I've recently became a video editor <laughs> <laughs> by deciding to maybe take a class in film editing. <laughs> Haven't taken the class yet, but... You're still um, a pro. But I'm a pro already, right, just by... You know, Economist. it's like the secret, sort of. You just think it. And right. Put it out into the world and it'll come back to you. Um, and I really, I truly, I truly believe, you know, <laughs> things editor. happen for a reason and all that. Stop. Uh, no. Okay. Okay. Anyway, editing 2006. Best what editing is? 2006, Children of Men. Good. And I think, I, I almost did um, <clears throat> Best Cinematography for mm-hmm. Children of Men, same year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but I realize I still maintain that this this movie I have such high standards for this movie and so it's not one of my top one of my favorites of all time which I know is hardly a an insult <laughs> but um, the editing really I th- I think part of it is that the editing unnerves me mm. it's documentary like there are long takes from you know if I remember right a lot of times from one vantage point even if it's um, shorter takes. It's kind of mm-hmm. like yeah. the same general vantage point. Um, the, there's a, a scene where a key character dies when you're not expecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that editing is pretty insane. It still shocks me. Um, so I, I love it. I think it's brilliant and I'm excited to watch it now that I'm an expert. <laughs> <laughs> And then next on our next episode, I'll explain frame by frame <laughs> the entire movie, why it's so great. That was on my long list. Me too, and actually. It's my only editing one that was on my long list. As was the cinematography and the adapted screenplay, because that movie is genius. So good. Yeah. You're number four. Um, okay, well, so full disclosure, I had to limit myself to only allowing myself three actresses for my list, and this is... <laughs> Lupita was the beginning of my actress run. So number four oh boy. <laughs> um, is a nominee from 2007 for Best Actress, Ellen Page. Uh-huh. Um, Ellen Page is another that sort of like, she had done Hard Candy. And mm-hmm. I, maybe at that point the terrible third X-Men movie had already come out. But she wasn't like... Maybe, yeah. She definitely wasn't a name. And the fact that <clears throat> she, she also just doesn't look like a starlet. <laughs> Right. Like, she doesn't look like all other actresses in their early 20s, um, which was great because, of course, the script called for her to not be that. Right. But how many times do we see scripts where the rules call for the girl to not be, like, conventionally a model? Yeah. <laughs> because Ellen Page <laughs> is attractive, so I don't even want to say not conventionally attractive, just right. not, like, literally, like, basically the same face and body. Um, and... She, but it's a, I love Juno. I know a lot of people feel different ways. Juno really spoke to me. It still does. It still makes me cry. Um, but, you know, a lot of Diablo Cody's 
dialogue is a little twee mm-hmm. and overly stylized and it could have been really annoying except for Ellen Page is never annoying like she grounds it and when she's able to say the dialogue in a way that it feels real yeah um you know it feels like a person's quirk whether rather than a movie's quirk mm-hmm. um and I think she's just really heartbreaking and honest and I feel like it's a film about a young woman learning what it means to be a young woman and the responsibility about her body and sexuality and just all of these things about like basically going into early adulthood. And I think it's not one that often gets recognized, Mm -hmm. especially if she doesn't look like Jennifer Lawrence. And I say this (laughs) loving Jennifer Lawrence. Um, So anyway, so Ellen Page is my number four. Good call. I have my issues with the film, but they don't stem from her performance. My number four uh, is A Separation for Original Screenplay in 2011. This was my favorite movie from 2011. It was very clearly going to get in for a foreign film, and it did end up winning for Iran. Um, But the fact that it also got on for Original Screenplay is just the icing on the cake, because it so deserved, I mean, it deserved to be in for Best Picture, just full stop. The twists and turns that it's not even a, I'm not going to say too much because I know Nathan hasn't even seen it. And it's not like there are, it's not like M. Night Shyamalan where this, there's a no. twist ending, yeah. but just it starts as one thing and then it naturally and organically becomes something else and then it becomes something else, but it all feels entirely grounded and true to life and heartbreaking and so captivating and entertaining and that yeah. screenplay is so smart. It's so good. Well, I think it was a benefit that, I don't know about you, but when we saw it, it was just because we knew it was like a a front runner or really buzzed about foreign film entry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't seen a trailer or anything. Like I had only oh, no. heard I knew the title and knew that it was like, other than it was like going to show up on people's top 10 lists. And right. I was like, sure. Let's go see it. Exactly. And that's why we saw it. So part of that was that we just, ha- I had no idea what to anticipate, but then you're right. What I thought it was going to be from like the first couple scenes turned into something totally different, but not in a, bad or inorganic. But not like, aliens come, and then, oh, no, now <laughs> Shh, don't spoil it! Right. I mean, aliens do come, but, no. <laughs> but you can totally tell from, like, the beginning, because there are cups of water out everywhere. Fucking signs. Enough! But yes, if, if you anyone hasn't seen it that's listening, including Nathan, see it, yeah. see this movie, it's... Yeah. Well, I think that's the main reason I don't have any movies from 2011... or nominations from 2011, even on my long list... It's because you were gone. that I didn't... Oh. Well, I guess... Well, not really. But I, I was... Um, I didn't see a separation. Yeah. Yeah. Because other, other than that... Yeah, I mean... I had some others on my list. I mean, there were some year. fine movies, but mm-hmm. as far as nominations go. Right. Anyway, I'm doing number three. Uh, I'm uh, Elizabeth, we'll start. Your brands. Which oh, that was great. your four? That was my four. Okay, yep. great. I can, I can get rid of my, my third actress to make my list. I've already talked about her at length on our previous podcast, so I won't do much more. And that is Keira Knightley, Best Actress, Pride and Prejudice, 2005. It's one of my favorite female performances of the last decade. In one of my favorite roles, in one of my favorite films. Uh, It's also sort of an understated performance. Um, Yeah, and I just love that performance. So for that reason alone, it got on there. Pride and Prejudice. It's a weird category. I think Matt is changing one of his... I am, yeah, I switched number two and number three. Uh-huh. Only because uh, now my current number three 
is something we've already talked about, and that's Falling Slowly, original song, winner, uh, for 2007. Nice. Again, it's just a personal choice. Once was my favorite movie of that year, and that song has so much to do with it. Yeah. I loved the Oscar telecast that year when they did win, but then she like went to speak after Glenn Hansard had already spoken, and then Jon Stewart, who was hosting that year, came back out later and was like, um, let's bring her back out and let her say what she needs to say, and she's so soft-spoken. They're such underdogs. The whole movie is such an underdog story. Yeah. Um, but it's easy to root for, but it's also just really good, and its heart is in the right place. And that's a great song. An original song, especially in the past song. like 20 years, is the most bonkers category. <laughs> yeah. And I think still at this time, it was like they, the nominating committee or the people who vote on it, you can vote against movies because it's all like a ranking system. So if you don't like a song, like anything from Burlesque, because who would want to vote for Cher? You can rate it like a one, and so of course it's not going to average enough to get a nomination. Right. So like the fact that that was sort of the process at the time, and the fact that this still was able to get in, anytime quality gets in in that category, especially around this era, is something to applaud. Yeah. And then, then the fact that it won. Yeah. 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 Amen. Agreed. That's my bronze. Uh, Formerly my silver. And your third, Mason? My bronze is from... <laughs> sounded vulgar and <laughs> My bronze is from 2008. Mm. Um, Best Supporting Actress nominee, Viola Davis. For Doubt. Doubt. Great one. That and she list. came into this movie like a bullet train. Yeah. With, as far as I can remember, one scene. I mean, yeah. maybe she was in little bits... It's basically places, just but one it's scene. one scene that where she has multiple lines with Meryl, mm-hmm. and she's better than Meryl. I mean, no, she is. She's as good. No, but just say it. She's better. She, <laughs> yeah, she is. She's better than Meryl in that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I love her on the stage on the screen. I wish nothing but the best for her. This is totally a personal choice, but also. This is one that I think, you know, was important for her as an actress. Yeah. Certainly raised her visibility. Yeah. Um, Well, like you said, if it was basically one scene. And that's harder and harder these days, especially with category fraud. And And usually when it is... I feel like Meryl Streep, someone who's already established as, you know, they just get Oscar nominations because that's what they get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was refreshing in every way. Right, I mean, the fact that Viola Davis basically went from, like, a stage actress, a well-respected stage actress who, like, occasionally got work in film and television, to then after that one scene in Doubt where she's so powerful, she got that nomination, and then it was like, now her projects get taken with a different... I mean, she still has problems finding projects, especially in film, but I think that the help, I think part of the reason it started getting all the critical attention is because it was Viola Davis playing that part. Right. You associate her with quality. And she already had the Oscar nomination, so it was like, oh, look at this. And then when it, that happened, it trickled down to Octavia Spencer, it trickled down to Jessica Chastain. You know what I mean? But I don't I don't think if she had that previous nomination, that... The help would have been received. The help would have even yeah. been received that way just because of the type it of It might have, but it would have been more of an uphill battle. Yeah. yeah. It's just a like, light chick flit, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then she like does a TV series with Shonda Rhimes and people were like, oh, she's going to win the Emmy next year. And then she won the Emmy Emmy next year. Like Mm -hmm. it was basically like sealed in blood before 
anyone yeah. had even seen the show because now it's Viola Davis and that all really stems from that yeah. what like eight minute scene in doubt and she'll still have like two or three movies a year where she's the best friend and usually the best the part in it but yeah right especially those movies Side. yeah yeah <laughs> so mad yes yeah. so number two my number two my the one that I just swapped out uh, formula number three is another cheat. Another tie. What? Uh, and this, uh, uh, they're both Best Supporting Actress nominees, one from 2012, one from 2013, and their co-stars won Best Actress. Uh, it's Sally Hawkins for Blue Jasmine mm-hmm. and Jackie Weaver for Silver Linings Playbook. Nice. Um, and they were both kind of surprise nominations, um, a little bit. Sally Hawkins was certainly in the mix, but it was also like, Kate Blanchett was such a front runner. Of course, she was going to win Best Actress. Yeah. Same thing with Silver Linings Playbook. Jennifer Lawrence was absolutely a front runner, and then the fact that Jackie Weaver was able to slip in there, her second nomination in three years, right, um, was so satisfying. Especially, I just recently rewatched Silver Linings Playbook a few nights ago, and I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters. But I think she might, and I love Bradley Cooper. I know he made your list, and that was a fantastic performance. But the work she's doing in that movie is. The it is fantastic supporting work. Like she no, is crucial. absolutely yeah crucial. It's she's crucial. supporting everyone around her, but she's also creating such a full character that right. it's really easy to just be like, no, she's the like supportive mom. But no, she's not or wife. But she's adding a lot of like lived in, and it's helping ground that this family, especially with Robert De Niro as her husband uh in the film yeah uh she she needs to be the one that's grounding this family and yeah having that maternal instinct to be like nope i know my son isn't okay but i'm gonna i love him right. he needs to be home i'm gonna pull him out of the mental issue she's yeah. fantastic in the movie and sally hawkins is equally fantastic in yeah. the jasmine and i loved both of those nominations that's great i think about with jackie weaver that early scene where she's picked him up from the hospital mm-hmm and he pulls the thing with, like, Chris Tucker, and then they have to take him back, and she, like, pulls over and has a breakdown at him. Mm-hmm. And it is one of those things where it's, like, not about Bradley Cooper's character and her, like, furthering. It does further his characterization, the fact that he's act selfishly. But in that moment, it's, like, you're seeing what the toll of his mental illness has on her. And mm-hmm. at that point, if the movie had all of a sudden pulled a separation and switched focus, and it's, like, about a mother dealing with having a child <laughs> with manic depression, like... She gives you enough in that moment that it's about, it's not her just it's trying just to enough. like further the story. Because she could also, it's like right on the edge where another actress could take that way too much. Right. And it would be like, wow, right. settle down with your like right. Baltimore or wherever they are right. accent. Crabby yeah. snacks and whole meats. and whole meats. Which yeah. only sounds Minnesotan when we try to I know. Uh, I thought, you... well, I, just on the Jackie Weaver train, mm-hmm. I just want to say that I'm not on it. Uh-oh. But it's Thanksgiving. I'm not gonna say anything too bad about her. She's no, there's nothing wrong with her. I just don't understand the attraction, and I think it's more a function of it's not the way just the about character... being attracted to women. Okay? <laughs> it's not. It's not. I think it's more just a function of um, the way the character is written and a, a sufficient actress performing the role. But Sally Hawkins was very much on my long list and almost on my short list. And what I love about her in Blue Jasmine is that she, I guess, I I mean, assuming you've seen this, spoiler alert, kind of, not really, 
Uh, <laughs> Again, another twisty turning movie. She starts the movie by kind of breaking your heart, or she kind of breaks your heart at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and Jasmine, is that her actual name, Kate Blanchett? No. I don't even remember. Whatever. I don't think so. <laughs> Whatever her name yeah. is. <laughs> a blue? Is it blue? <laughs> it's blue. Is it blue? Um, <laughs> red? Uh, no. She, Jazzy. Jazzy. So Jazzy is like held up on this pedestal and, you, you know, there's no reason that she would really break your heart at the beginning. Um, they kind of swap places by the end. So certainly Kate Blanchett's mm-hmm. character is breaking her heart by the end. And Sally Hawkins is maintaining her dignity yeah, she's sort throughout of her the entire, and even when she, even when she was in a sort of place in the beginning, mm-hmm. she had her dignity. Yeah. And she, so like the interplay between these two characters, even though they're on such different class levels. Yeah. I mean, it's the part of the brilliance of the film, but, but she pulls it off so well. Also, Absolutely. again, crucial to the success of that film. Yep. Yeah. And a terrific scene card. And to and to making the film say something. Yeah. Yes, totally. Which I guess is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she also just played really well, like a blue collar American, and she's British. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. does Mike Lee movies. <laughs> yeah. So. So. That's my wait. Is it my number Are we two? all done number two? No. I have to do number two. I, I have to do number two as well. Yeah, yes, I just started. Oh, yeah. right. We so, were yeah. just so, so speaking yeah. of Mike Lee movies, <gasps> my number two um, is from 2010, Best Original Screenplay for Another Year. That was on my short list. And this was a last-minute switch. It was on my honor roll. <laughs> um, but I had to switch it because I had to be true to myself. Um, as always. And I think... And it made it all the way up to number two. Yeah, it, that's the kind of list this is. I mean, <laughs> because really it was like either either it's number two or it's not. I mean, either it's way right. up there or yes. it's right. not on there. Yep. It just depends what kind of list I want it to be. Um, right, if we made our lists again, and I, mine would be totally different. And I wanted it to be this kind of list. And, um, you know, there's a lot said about how Mike Lee works. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember right, you know, I tend to confuse names and directors and, but correct me if i'm wrong as i'm sure you will Pills. he's the <laughs> he's the one <laughs> who um often doesn't have a solid script from the beginning he'll start and, with like a really long rehearsal process yeah or, create, or a lot of it is is cre- then, is collaborative yes. i guess is what i'm saying yeah um and so i love that um there's magic in this movie I need to see it again. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's it really stuck with me. Yeah, it's a great choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good call. Uh, my number two, and now I sort of want to pull a mat and cheat, but I won't. I don't know. I'll no, stay true twice. and just do it, but I'll, I'll sort of mention what was then an honorable mention as sort of a Sophie's choice between the two. Um, this is a nominee from 2013, my other best original song nominee, and that is... Karen O and Spike Jones for Moon Song from her. Mm-hmm. And I had a big debate about whether to put in when I realized I wasn't going to be able to fit them both on my list. Uh, either their original song or his screenplay, because I also mm-hmm. adore the screenplay. Yep. Um, but in the end, I decided, again, it's really very similar to um, The Falling Slowly. It just plays such a crucial part in the story, the moment when that song happens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's not just something that plays over the credits at the end. It's really right. connected to what's happening. And again, it comes at like a pivotal moment in the evolution of their relationship of the two main characters, Joaquin Phoenix and Sam, Samantha, the mm-hmm. operating system he falls in love with. Um, and it's just a beautiful song. And it's, again, it's like just Karen O and the ukulele or like the guitar. Mm-hmm. It's so simple and so lovely. And the lyrics are reflective of the character's journey and it comes at a place in the story where it propels the story. And I just love when songs like that get nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my number two. But I also freaking love that script. Yeah, the script for sure. I don't recall the song that well. How dare you? I know. And I wouldn't just need to see the movie again to know when yeah. it occurs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're up for number one. Our favorite yeah. Oscar nomination of the past decade. Well, this one should be obvious to anyone who knows me. Or I fear we might have the same number one. We don't. Is it from 2014? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I reacted that way at the beginning when oh, Elizabeth was saying, yeah. But, so the reason I chose this as my number one is because I think this past year I followed the nominations process it's fair to say more closely than I have ever before. Uh-huh. So I had a better sense of the actual odds of mm-hmm. people getting nominated. So it's Bradley Cooper so, American so, <laughs> <laughs> so not that this was totally out of left field at all in any way, but it was um, Best Supporting Actress, Laura Dern, for Wild, <laughs> and she is my spirit animal. I love it. I love my it because spirit it's such a personal choice. Um, your spirit face. <laughs> my spirit face, sad puppy dog. She, she's my everything. If I wasn't married to you, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> ever since Jurassic Park, I knew she was something special. Um, she has a sort of mom vibe type of charisma that she's putting out into the world and you know it's not coincidental that you know a lot of her roles are kind of have mom i mean she's actually well she's also that age right but um not 20 right right she's 25 (laughs) (laughs) uh so i just loved that she you know do i think it was her best work ever no but it was great work as always from her and um, it was not flashy. It was right. just relatively short amount of screen time right. in a movie that I think was underappreciated right. from an actress that was underappreciated right. and not portraying an historical figure. Mm-hmm. It just right. said an historical. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an English teacher. A historical <laughs> Uh, a historical figure. Um, yeah, it's not on like the... It's just the Marianne Cotillard of it all. Not at all, but... Oh, well, I was going to say, or like the, well, you didn't like it, but like the Jackie Weaver or the... Um, yeah. Who else did we just talk about? Sally Hawkins, <clears throat> thank you, where it's like crucial. It's a yeah, crucial part that putting, makes the whole film work because... bringing new meaning to supporting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and she has to sell the scenes that she's in to make us understand why Reese Witherspoon's character has had sort of the spiral that she's had. Yeah. 
And equally satisfying for you, Nathan, because you kept her in your predictions, which you only really did the night before, but you predicted her and she did get nominated. Right, right. So that's, that's really also satisfying. Yeah, no, and that just <clears throat> the trajectory of her father, because Bruce Dern is her father, correct? Yes. So he, him having success... The year before, for the year right. before, yeah. it's just a nice and then maybe their mom, a nice her Oscar mom story, yeah, joy, yes, yeah. I hope so. Who knows? Oh jeez, oh jeez. Uh, is it me? Good choice. It's you. You're number one. So this again, I like that that was such a like personal to you because this one's very personal to me. It's a fellow named Dario Marianelli, mm. um, who was nominated for Best Original Score in 2005 for Pride and Prejudice. Oh, shoot, I thought you were going to say for Atonement, which would have been not I, on my long list, but I, also worth it. I do also love Atonement, but Pride and Prejudice is maybe my favorite complete film score hmm. ever. I've nice. listened to it more than ever. I used to go in college. I, lived clo- I, li- I went to college in St. Louis, and there was this amazing park called Forest Park and a place called The Reservoir. And it's this big, like, water and beautiful. And I used to go and just, like, listen to it over and over and over again with my iPod when I get to, like, you know, think about life. About Mr. Darcy. I just love it. It's also very simple. It's piano score, and it's built into the film. So the film opens with this beautiful, the first piece is called Dawn, this beautiful piano score. And it sort of just is a long camera shot tracking through the Bennett's household. Mm-hmm. I think starting with Elizabeth walking outside and you see sort of all of the sisters and the parents and everybody in their own environment and you immediately in just this opening shot sort of understand the family dynamics and who everyone is in the family, which is about the filmmaking, but the score is so lovely over it. And then Mary, who plays the piano, is playing that the score song. on the piano. It's like diegetic. So, so it's, yeah. yeah, and it's just great. So that's my number one. Mm, cool. I was so happy that year when it got nominated for score because I had been listening to it like nonstop over and over again. Nice. Well, my number one uh, is probably more personal choice for Nathan. I think he is in love with this movie more than I am. So I thought this would be your number one or make your list at least, but it didn't. Uh, it is Ben Zeitlin for Best Director, Beast mm-hmm. of the Southern Wild. This was kind of a shock. I mean, the movie was certainly in the running for... Oh, what what is your face? Oh, I just made a face about Ben Zeitlin, but not oh. the movie. I mean, it it's a director's vision. It sure is. I didn't want to take away from your moment. Keep going. <laughs> too it late. Thanksgiving. <laughs> but I'm so thankful. I love this category, too. The fact that Michael Haneke got in for Amor yeah. as well, and that Ang Lee ended up winning for Life of Pi. You didn't have Ben Affleck get in for Argo, uh, which is a fine movie. But, I'm um, sad that Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. Yeah, for Zero Dark Thirty, which was my favorite movie of the year, um, followed by Amor, and then followed by Beast of the Southern Wild. But it's such a scrappy, indie, hard-on-its-sleeve, really big, bombastic vision. Totally. So I can see why the director's branch gave him the nomination, but he was certainly not a front-runner. Right. So the fact that he did get in was kind of a surprise to me on nomination morning and was so, so deserving. That movie really, excuse me, bowled me and Nathan over. choked up about it. I am. We had seen the film at, it was like the secret screening or surprise screening at the new director's new films um, festival up at Lincoln Center, uh, which is a great environment to see it in, of course. Yeah. But 
yeah, movie really, it's a really profound movie. Yeah. I was inconsolable afterwards. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in a great way. <laughs> well, that's and I better. absolutely considered Ben Zeitlin. I decided that he wasn't one of my top two or three favorite nominations of that film. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. So I didn't even write it on him on the long list, but then I ended up. There's just too many to choose from. Yeah. For you know other nominations, so I, I didn't choose anything. Kumanjani Wallace is great, but it was kind of obvious she was going to get. Uh, or it, you she's know, in the mix. It, yeah. It's not a favorite of mine. Um, right. Yeah, but that's a great. But choice. it is it is a favorite of mine. Yeah. Even if I might not have even given him the Oscar. And still, I'm so glad that he got that nomination. And I feel That's like I'm excited to see what he'll do next, but I also can totally see that this is, like, almost a fluke. Like, right. he put everything he had into this. It's fantastic. And I hope he'll make equally, if not better, uh, received films in the right. future. But as long as he has this, I'm thankful he was alive and made this film and got that nomination. He probably is, too. I hope so. Well, I think it's also just a, a good representation of the fact that the director's branch, more than other branches, are willing to, like, not always just follow the buzz and, like, throw mm-hmm. left-field categories versus, like, right. when you get to... Mike Lee for Vera like, Drake or something. Yeah, yeah, especially when you get to, like, the acting categories or even Best Picture. I mean, there are some that are so kind of boring, even, on nomination day, because you're like, yep, you just followed what has the most buzz. Mm-hmm. Um and the director's branch can be exciting sometimes because they'll put... Certainly. It's a branch that actually has quite a bit of diversity in it and right. a smaller branch. And actually maybe, like, watch the films. You would hope. You would hope that they actually like films and filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so those are our top ten personal, or I guess 12 in my case because I cheated a bit. Agree. Uh, personal nominations for Disagree. the past decade. Let us know. Yeah. Send all personal mail to Matt Dittis. Care of Ben Zeitlin <laughs> and Jackie Weaver. No ones. The bathtub. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Thanksgiving. even Thanksgiving. though I'm sure we'll post this well after Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> Cheers. Goodbye. Bye.